0: Let's go to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And it says this. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Let me read it one more time. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word. Pray that you would change us, that you would challenge us today. In Jesus' name, come on And Everybody said amen, amen, amen. That's where I want to go tonight. I want to preach about a, a desperation for Jesus. I want to preach about a passion for Jesus tonight. Matthew eleven twelve. 12, we read it, but it says in from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven had suffered violence and the violent take it by force. You know, I think it's easy to look at this passage of scripture and really misunderstand the whole meaning of this passage of scripture. In fact, it's easy to read this verse and really take it out of context and I mean even asked the question like What in the world is Jesus talking about? Because all throughout the Bible, what do we hear Jesus talking about? We hear Jesus talking about love, about grace, about mercy, about compassion, about forgiveness. It's not often that we hear Jesus talk about violence, and the violent take it by force, So what am I telling us today that we're going to take up uh, pitchforks and head out into our city and torches and we're a mad, angry Christian mob? Is that what we're... No, that's not what we're doing tonight, is it? But that's not at all what this passage of Scripture means. So what I want to do is I want to go back. I want to look at the context. I want to look at what was happening in the time. I want to look at what was happening before the time because... There's are some important things that are happening in this passage of Scripture that if we can truly grasp what God is saying to us, what God is saying to the church, what God was saying to the church then, I believe that it will change our perspective on how we fast, on how we pray, on how we approach God, on how we approach our worship, on how we approach how we live this Christian faith. If you're with me, say I'm with you. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus has just begun his earthly ministry. And John the Baptist, who was his predecessor, is now in prison. So Jesus is going across the countryside. He's preaching. He's laying hands. Blinded eyes are being opened. Miracles are happening. John has already gone before Jesus, if you'll remember John was the one that the Bible prophesied about. He was the one that was out at the Jordan River. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. He was the one that would come before Jesus, that the Bible prophesied about, that said he would be the one that would pave the way for the Messiah to come. So, watch this. There had been this silence for 400 years. How many of you know 400 years is a long time? You you know, you throw out this number like 400 years, and I don't even think that we can really, because in our minds, like two weeks ago was a long time away. You know what I'm? uh, You can ask me what I had for lunch yesterday, and I can't remember. Yesterday seems a long time away. The older I get, it just seems the more I forget. And so 400 years ago, think about this. England was just beginning to colonize North America. That's how long 400 years is. So from that time span until now, that is the time span from when the Old Testament canon, the Old Testament book is closed. It ends with the prophet Malachi, who both Christian theologians and even uh, Jewish theologians all believe that this was the last Old Testament prophet that would come forth and would speak. And now there goes 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak until a man named Zechariah goes to serve in the temple. And as he's serving in the temple, he was a priest and he goes in to light the incense on the altar, and it was his duty, it was his time to go into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God lived. You gotta understand, we have access to the presence of God all the time, but in his day, there was one man who could go into the presence of God, so he would go into the Holy of Holies, light the incense, and when he's in there doing his duty, an angel of the Lord shows up. Now, 400 years, God hasn't spoken. is in the temple, uh, an angel of the Lord. Man, if I was in this dark room, I would just fall and have a heart attack. I would be done. That would be it. Y'all would be taking me to heaven. An angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son and his name is going to be John. And he will be the predecessor of the Messiah. He will be the one that will pave the way for the Messiah. So 400 years of silence and at John's announcement of birth, I want you to watch this. The kingdom of darkness takes notice that a change is happening. Are you with me? Satan goes, there's been an announcement made about a coming Messiah. There's been an announcement made that is about the one who will pave the way for the Messiah. So when Jesus says... From the days of John. He didn't say from the day that I was born. He said what? And from the days of John, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So what does this passage of Scripture mean? It means that at the announcement of John's birth, hell went on notice. At the announcement of John's birth, hell goes on notice and says something is shifting. Something is happening in the heavenlies. And the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, comes under attack and suffers violent. But then it says, the violent, take it by force. John was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Jesus even said that he was the one that was sent to prepare the way. And look at this. When when Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she went to go visit Martha, the mother of John, John was still unborn, and when Mary walked in, the Bible says that Mary spoke and that John leapt in Martha's belly. Can I tell you there was something happening in a spiritual realm? Can I tell you that there was something that was beginning to stir in the earth? There was something that was beginning to stir in that time that is still stirring until this day and age? And the Bible says, and that from the days of John until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violence take it by force. So John would come on the scene, and John would go, and, and he would preach, repentance. He would preach baptism. He was on the front lines, if you will, ushering in the kingdom of God, ushering in the kingdom of heaven, because what you have to understand is that the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of earth. The realm that we can't see, the world of the invisible principalities, the spiritual forces that we fight against that are trying to destroy your marriage, that are trying to destroy your kids, that are trying to steal your joy, that are trying to keep you bound up, that are trying to rob you of your peace, that are trying to keep you from financial freedom. Come on, is there anybody with me that realizes that there are forces in this world that are out to get us? And at the moment of John's birth was announced, the kingdom of darkness begins to formulate a plan, begin to scheme, begin to declare war on the kingdom of God. There was a shift in the spiritual world. Jesus, the Savior, was coming onto the scene. Grace through faith was arriving. Receiving salvation was about to be easier than ever before. Sin was about to be forever paid for, and hell knew it, so they waged war. Because watch this. In the Old Testament, how would the kingdom of heaven advance? There was one chosen people, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and what command did he give them? Be fruitful and what? Multiply. How would the kingdom of heaven expand? Having children, being fruitful and multiplying. Fast forward to the new covenant. How does the kingdom of heaven expand? We get adopted by grace through faith into God's kingdom, into heaven, into salvation, into grace, into mercy, into forgiveness. Come on, we get adopted in by grace through faith. So the kingdom of heaven all of a sudden goes, hang on, wait, everything's changing, everything's shifting. It's going to get easier to get to God. It's about to get easier to get restored by God. No, we have to do everything we can to stop it. So since the days of John, the kingdom of heaven started suffering violence. From the days of John, the kingdom of heaven came under attack. Watch this. John was beheaded. Jesus was crucified. The disciples were martyred one by one. And the church fell under persecution. Satan launches a full-on offensive attack against the kingdom of heaven. I'm going somewhere. Are you with me tonight? So we understand that the kingdom of heaven came under attack the day since the day of John. The kingdom of heaven came under attack. But then it says these words, and the violent take it by force. Who are the violent? And is God calling (laughs) his church to violence? If the kingdom of heaven has come under attack, it only makes sense that us as a part of the kingdom of heaven would fight. And I talked last week about our role in in times and how we're the ones that are holding back the darkness and and I f- firmly wholeheartedly believe that we are the ones that are holding back the darkness in this world. We are, we are holding back the darkness. Why? Because we embody the Holy Spirit. And until the Holy Spirit is taken from this earth, we will be the ones that is holding back the darkness. So I want you to understand, last week that was my whole point, is that you would understand the weight and the gravity that we carry. This week I want you to understand the posture that we carry, and it is a posture that says, I am ready to fight, go to war, do battle, and take it to the enemy. I am ready to take it to his camp. I'm not going to sit back, but I'm going to take it, and I'm going to get what is mine, my kids, my peace, my joy, my finances, whatever it is, whatever those things that you're praying for. In the next 21 days, you... You are in a spiritual war, world and a realm. You're going to battle. You're ready to do war. You're ready to pray. You're ready to seek. You're ready to use the weapons that God has given us to take down this dark world. Come on, somebody say amen. So it's an approach. It's a, it's a heart that we charge after the enemy and go, you're not going to have my family. You're not going to have my mind. You're not going to have my eyes. You're not going to have my ears. I, I, I'm going to fight diligently for my family, for my life, for my sake. Because we know that Jesus, he taught love your neighbor. And we know that Jesus said in Matthew 26, 52, he, he told Peter, he said, put away your sword. Because those you who use the sword are going to die by the sword. So he's not saying pull out weapons and let's fight. No, why? Because the battle that we wage, and you'll hear this every week, because even though that we live in this world, the Bible said, we do not wage war as the world does. It's not with swords, it's not with guns, it's not with artillery, it's not with infantry, it's not with uh, airstrikes or drones, it's not with any of those things. It's not the way the world does war. No, the weapons we fight with, the Bible says, are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what kind of power? Divine power. Not power of my own. Not my power. It has what kind of power? divine power it is a power that comes only from god they are not contingent on craig they have divine power they have god's power to work through me what to demolish strongholds my question is do you have any strongholds in your life that need to be demolished Do you have any things in your life that need to be torn down? Do you have any generational curses that need to be removed and stripped out of your life? Is there anything that is is keeping you from running the race that God has called you to run, from being the man or being the woman that God has called you to be? Is there any stronghold that's in your life that needs to be demolished? It doesn't happen in your power. It happens in his power, and you have the weapons and the tools to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. Come on. Jesus' ministry on earth changed everything. Because watch this, pre-Jesus, the only way into the kingdom of heaven was to expand it by birth. Now, it's grace through faith. Now, it's confess with my mouth, believe in my heart that Jesus died and rose again. And guess what? Another one is rescued out of hell. Can you see that it is now easier than ever before to to just, man, if this is hell, we can just start snatching people out of hell left and right. How do we destroy what the enemy wants to do in the earth? We start taking people out of hell. Because what's his goal? His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is to to take as many people to hell with him. So what do we do? We're going to work against the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to reach out my hand. Hey, you're you're not hopeless. There's joy. There's peace. There's love. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's grace. And there's another one that we just rescued out of the grasp of hell. Why do we do the stories in the baptism tank? Because it's important for you to hear where people have been, their story, their testimony, how God has changed them, how God is using them, and, we're, and how, how Restoration Church or somebody else or another church reach down in and rescue them out of the grasp of hell. How do we fight back in the kingdom of darkness? We keep rescuing people out of the grasp of hell. Because it used to be difficult, now it's easy just to get people into the kingdom of God. So what what are these weapons of warfare? We're going to talk about this a little deeper uh, in next week on the weapons of warfare. But I want to talk specifically about one weapon today that I feel like John's ministry was defined by. And he was an evangelist on the the forefronts of Jesus' ministry, preaching, teaching the gospel. And Revelations says something interesting. It says that in Revelation 12, 11, it says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and what? By the word of our testimony. And I believe that God has called us to go into the world and share our testimony. Come on, is there anybody that believes that? Listen, if you've been healed, you ought to tell somebody. If you've been restored, you ought to tell somebody. If you've been delivered, you ought to tell somebody. If God has given you strength in time of weakness, guess what? You ought to tell somebody. If he's helped helped you overcome addiction in your life, guess what? You ought to tell somebody. Why? Because, yes, we overcame by the blood of the lamb. It was his sacrifice, his death that saved us from sin. But it's our testimony that's going to help reach down into the pit of hell, grab somebody out, and that's another person. That's another life that was saved. That's another life that was changed. So John's ministry was defined by three things. Number one is this, if you're taking notes. It was defined by repentance. We should be reaching people. Everywhere we go, a kingdom that was once only expanded by birthright is now expanded by grace and salvation and confession and belief that Jesus Christ died and rose again. We should be telling everyone everywhere we go. Our lives should shout it. Let me say it this way. Your joy should shout it. Your peace should shout it. Our testimony should shout it everywhere we go. If you're saved, look, you have a story to tell. If you've been healed, forgiven, redeemed, set free, you have a story to tell. The greatest damage that we can do in the kingdom of darkness is to rescue people out of the grasp of hell. Some might even say that what we planted right here in Frisco was not a church, but it was a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. Because what we're all about, our number one point of vision is restored with God. And what does that mean? That means that people come into a right relationship with God because of what Jesus cross did or what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's our number one mission, our number one goal. The first thing that we set out that we said, "Hey, what do we want to see? We want to see people's lives restored into a relationship with God. And how does that happen? That happens by us everywhere we go, leading people into repentance with God. So listen, as we pray and we fast, I want to draw your attention. Let's go to this, Matthew, and I want you to read along with me on the screen. Matthew chapter 9. Because John was all about souls. Jesus was all about souls. They were both all about life change. They were all both all about repentance. Jesus would often, you know, go in and he would say, you're healed. Go and what? Sin no more. Their ministries were defined by repentance. So watch this, Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says it this way, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That's that word, compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, watch this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How do we get more laborers? We reach down into the pit of hell. We grab out one more person. Hey, come on. Serve alongside of me. Look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It doesn't mean that I go down the street to Gateway and I go, hey, we just planted a church. Why don't you come help us? It doesn't mean that I go up the road to Genesis Metro and go, hey, we just planted a church. We need some laborers over here. No. We are the capital C church working together. And there are hundreds of thousands of people living right here in this city that even if all of us had a service every day, 24 hours a day, we still couldn't put everybody in this city in our buildings. So what I want to do is go to the pit of hell and rescue another person out and go, hey, labor alongside of us. So when he says pray for the laborers, Yes, we need laborers, and yes, we're praying for laborers, but guess who we're also praying for? The lost. We're also praying for the harvest when we're praying for the laborers. Because where are we going to get new laborers from? The people that are lost and in darkness, and we're going to rescue people left and right, and we're going to lock arm in arm, and we're going to go look at the harvest. It's plentiful. Come on, we got to get more laborers because there's more people to reach in our city. Come on, somebody say Amen. Repentance and salvation, it's a weapon against the enemy. Repentance is a weapon against the enemy. In fact, we've talked a lot about a spiritual world. We lived in California. There was a young lady who came into our service, and she was, we'd have to tear down the drape, but she was sitting back on that far back side. And it came time of the service to where, you know, you do the altar call and everybody bow your heads. I right, close your eyes. And it was time for salvation. This young lady had wandered in our service that had been addicted to drugs. She had been abused. She had been hurt. Something drew her into the church that day. And at the end of the service, she had been tormented tormented by the kingdom of darkness. Tormented by a spirit. And when she went to raise her hand that night, she was making a She said, tonight, I'm giving my life to Jesus. She went to put her hand in the air and say, hey, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Something overcame her. She was demon-possessed, and something overcame her and threw her on the floor. And our ushers got a few of the pastors, and we went and prayed for her. And that night, she was healed in Jesus' name. That night, she was delivered in Jesus' name. I know y'all probably watch movies. Some of you might. Some of you may stay away. I would say stay away, but some of you might have watched these movies like The Exorcist, you know. Some of you may think, oh, that's just Hollywood. Can I tell you it's not just Hollywood? If you've read about it in this Bible, it's still happening today. You may not see it out in front of you all the time, and you know, we live in America, and You know, we kind of pride ourselves on being, you know, all put together and blah, blah, blah. You go into a foreign nation and it's not hidden away. Like, like it's, you know, people can hide it away here and people can mask it and whatever. But this young lady came in possessed with something. And that night she left free in Jesus name. She left free and she left delivered. Can I tell you the point I'm trying to make? Is that Satan hates repentance. Why does he hate repentance? because it means that we're changing our mind from what he wants us to think to what God wants us to think. And he realizes that in that moment, he's lost another one. He's lost another one outside of his grasp, outside of his hold. He lost another one. And that night as that young lady went to raise her hand, it was like that thing that was, that was holding on to her said, not tonight, but the power and the presence of God overwhelmed her, and she was set free. So a few months go by, and she makes the decision to get baptized. We're sitting right here on the front row. It's our baptism service. Baptismal is up on the stage. She's sitting next to us because she's kind of nervous. She's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. Nervous. We're like, listen, this is the next step. It's the right step. You got this. So we're in the middle of worship. I got my eyes closed. I'm worshiping. I open my eyes. Next thing I know, she's not there anymore. I'm like, oh, Lord, where'd she go? So Shannon and I go out into the hallway, and she's out in the hallway, and she just kind of, she's glazed over. I'm like, oh, goodness, all right. So we pray, we pray. And we're, like, we're like, do you want to do this? Do you want to be baptized? She said, I want to be baptized. So we took her. She went to the baptismal tank. We put her under the water. She came out. These are her words, not my words somebody who struggled and, and, and battled depression and anxiety, and fear. She said, when I came out of the water, I saw whatever was tormenting me run out of the room because it realized that it had lost her. Because it's one thing for us to, when every head is bowed and every eye is closed, to raise our hand and go, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's another thing altogether To get in a baptismal tank and say, I'm going to publicly confess in front of my whole church and maybe my family that came to see me that doesn't serve Jesus. I'm going to say this in front of everybody. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. It's one thing to privately raise our hand and say a prayer and say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. It's another thing to get in a baptismal tank in front of a full congregation, go down under the waters and come up and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Baptism is a weapon against the enemy because it's taking one step closer to God, his purpose and his will. In fact, listen to the way that Jesus said it. He said, therefore, go and and baptize them. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He said, go into all the world, make disciples and what? Baptize. Because baptizes, baptism is taking that public declaration of faith and saying, I identify with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. Come on, Is there anybody? who identifies tonight with his death, burial, and resurrection. Man, if that's you, we ought to get baptized. You ought to make that public declaration. I love Mark Zess, who got baptized back in October. Baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church. But he said, you know what? I got to do this for me. I've been through some things. I've made some mistakes, but I'm making a public declaration, not as a baby, as an adult, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My mom might have decided or grandmother might have decided for you at a young age that, you know, that you were going to be gods. And that's great. We do baby dedications here rather than baptisms. We do baby dedications where we'll, baby, we'll dedicate a baby and say, God, this child is yours. But there is something that happens in the life of every believer when we come to a point and we say, I repent and I turn to you. And when we get baptized, we're making a public declaration. Hey, hell, you don't have me anymore. Hey, kingdom of darkness, I don't belong to you anymore. I've taken the move from here to here. And now I'm declaring that my life belongs to God. So his ministry, you can help me out. His ministry was marked by repentance. His ministry was marked by baptism. And finally, his ministry was marked by certainty. Jesus said this about John. So, back to John. I kind of did this little rabbit trail. Here we go, back to John. John is in prison in Matthew chapter 11. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. And he says, ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah or if we should expect someone else. Because here's what John was expecting. John was expecting, like everybody else, he was expecting heaven to come to earth. And heaven had come to earth and his name was Jesus. They expected an earthly kingdom to be established on the earth. What Jesus said was, look, I've come to do something far greater than what you can think or imagine. What I'm doing stretches beyond this time, this moment, right now. It stretches into the future and all eternity. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, listen, I want you to go tell John everything that you've seen today. I want you to tell John that blinded eyes are open. I want you to tell him that the the deaf ears are open. I want you to tell him that lepers are healed. I want you to tell him that the dead have been raised. You go tell him. Because these are the signs that the Bible said would follow the Messiah. And he knew that if they would just simply tell them that, that John would know this is the Messiah. Something bigger is happening than what I think is happening. So the disciples leave Jesus, and they turn to go tell John, Jesus is cool. This is what Jesus does. He begins, as they're walking off, he begins to talk about John. And he begins to brag on John the Baptist. And he says these words, he says, there's been nobody greater than John in the kingdom of heaven. Nobody greater than John, not, not Elijah, not Moses. There's been nobody that was greater. Why? Because he paved the way for salvation. What is the greatest thing that we can do in somebody's life? Pave the way for salvation to Jesus. Because then Jesus says the words that even the least in the kingdom of God would be greater than John. So John straddled this line, if you will, of Old Testament, and New Testament. He wasn't quite in the New yet because Jesus hadn't died and rose again. Wasn't quite in the Old Testament because Jesus is on the earth and about to fulfill everything that had been prophesied for years. So John is straddling this line. Now we live in a world where we don't have to straddle the line. We just go, God is a God that's full of grace and he can save you. And I can tell you how. I can tell you how because he did it for me. But watch this. His ministry, the third one is this. If you're taking notes and you have to have all three points because you're a type one. His ministry was defined by certainty. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Jesus was Satan saying this. What did you go out to see when you went out to see John? You went out to see somebody that was firm and what they believed in and stood for and preached and was bold and wasn't scared to back down. And he would say it. And even when the government officials would come and they would point their finger at him and try to silence him, even when the religious leaders would go out and try to silence him, John would stand tall and he wouldn't be a reed that was... you know, swayed about by the No, he was certain. He said, I've got a mission. I know what God has called me to do, and I am going to do it. So when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, yes, heaven came under attack, but guess what? We've got weapons that we can fight back with, and we will take a stand and fight back against the darkness. Come on. Why don't you stand on your feet tonight? I'd say it this way. Let's put it on the screen, First Kings, if you will. First Kings. Elijah came to all the people and he said to them, how long will you falter between how many opinions? Two. That read, that's shaking back and forth from this opinion to that opinion. Oh, maybe they're right. Oh, you know what? Maybe God's right. No. Oh, maybe what they're saying in the world is right. Oh, I don't know. Maybe what God. No, you're not faltering between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word, not Restoration Church. We will stand and say, God, I'm following you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're coming after you. We're fasting. We're praying. We're seeking. We're going to be those, God, that that stand on your word. Because I'm telling you, people are looking for truth, and we have it. We just have to take a stand on it. And When we do, I'm telling you, we're going to push back the darkness. Come on, I want you to do me a favor. Join me at the altar tonight. Join me down here at the front, if you will. We're going to take a uh, a time, and at the end of every service, we're we're going to pray. And I just want us to be joined down here at the altar. I think that there's, there's power in numbers. There's power in proximity. This altar is a place where we lay things down and where we sacrifice things. And the altar is a place where we bring our concerns and we bring our needs. And so every week, we're just going to come down here. We're going to gather at the altar, and we're just going to pray. And for the next 21 days, this is how we're going to end our service. We're going to pray. And every week, I, I want you to put those things that we're praying for um, up on the screen. These are what we're praying for. I want you to make these salvations and baptisms. Healing, hope, joy, peace. We're going to make an impact on the world. They need to see it in us. That's hope, joy, peace, restoration. Maybe that's in a marriage. Maybe that's in your finances. Maybe that's in your mind. Restoration, financial provision, breakthrough in our church. We're believing for it, a church building. But this is what we're going to do. Hold on just a second. So Jesus, he he told his disciples, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he said, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he began to pray through this prayer. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray through this prayer. It may take us, I know it's 6.15 already. I'm sorry. We're going to pray for the next five to ten minutes through this prayer. And it's a roadmap of, of how we pray. And as we get to each section, I'll tell you how we're going to pray that prayer and how each of our prayers fits into that section. Can we do that? So he says, our Father who are in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. So can we take just a moment? Can we just worship him? Can you just lift your hands towards heaven and can you just do that as as we pray? I think it's important that we just welcome in God's presence and that we talk about him and we just brag on him a little bit. So God, we worship you, Lord. We just declare that you're holy, God. We just declare that you're good, God. We just declare that you're faithful, Lord. We just declare that you're strong. God, we just say that you're more than enough, God. We just say that you are an on-time God. Lord, we we just we say that you're righteous, Father. Lord, and we place our trust and our hope in you. You're the God of joy, you're the God of peace, God. You're our strong tower. The Bible says that the righteous run into it and that they are safe. So thank you, God. that you are our safety Lord that you are our protection God that you are our provision Lord we thank you that you are a healer God that you are the God that heals us Lord we thank you Lord that in your presence there is fullness of joy your holy God your holy God your holy God your holy God we love you we love you. you we worship you we worship you we worship you we worship you God Thank you. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Come on, let's pray for his will. Right at the top of our prayer. We're going to ask for some things that we want, but right at the top of our prayer, your will. Come on, Lord, we pray for your will to be done in our lives, God. Lord, we have things that we want to see happen, God. We have things that we want to accomplish, Lord. There's things that we want in this world, Lord, but above all, We want your will to be done in our life, God. We don't want to be outside of your will. We want to be in the center of your will. So, Lord, lead us as we pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, lead us as we pray. Lord, you said that you would give us the desires of our heart, Lord. So let us know the desires of your heart so we can know how to pray, God. Lead us. Guide us. And, God, I thank you, Lord, that you said that the footsteps of the righteous are ordered Come on, order our steps. Can we just lift our hands to heaven? Can you say that? Say, order our steps. Order our steps. Order our steps. Order our steps. God, I want to be in sync with you. I want to be in sync with your plan, with your will, with your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Come on, that's his will. God, I don't want anything in my life that heaven doesn't want for my life. I don't want anything at operation in my life that didn't look like heaven. God, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, come on, show it to me. Come on, is there anybody? Come on, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, show it to me. If I have hate in my heart towards my brother, show it to me. The Bible says that if we're at the altar offering a sacrifice and he shows us something, we need to go get it right. Maybe you need to send a text message right now to somebody to say, hey, I love you. I forgive you. Let's meet for coffee this week. Let's work through this. God, let us forgive those that have sinned against us. God, as you have forgiven us. Come on. So can we just take a moment and just repent? God, I turn from my will. I turn from my way. Lord, forgive us. For the things that we've done that displeased you, that hurt you. Forgive us. Lord. Forgive us of that sin. We repent. It's a weapon. I'm turning away and I'm turning to you. I'm declaring that the enemy no longer has a foothold in my life. Satan, let go. Come on. somebody need. Some of y'all need to speak to the enemy. Satan, let go. Whatever it is, get... Get your hands off their finances. Get your hands off their family. Get your hands off their marriage. In Jesus' name, you have no authority. You don't have the victory. And God, let us release forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Let us let go of bitterness. Let us let go of anger. Let us let go of past hurts that we've held on to maybe in for years, God, things that have festered in our hearts and in our spirits. God, let us let it go. Let us be quick to forgive. Let us be quick to love in our marriages. Let us be quick to forgive and love one another. Help us, God, help us. So Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those that have sinned against us. God, and give us this day, our daily bread. We need you every day. I need your strength every day. God, I need your power every day. If I don't have you, I can't make it. I can't do this in my own power. I can't do this in my own mindset. I can't do this in my own will. I can't do this in my own strength. God, I can only do it in you. Come on. If you believe that you just need a personal prayer right now. You need to talk to him. I need you, God. I need you, God. Come on, take a moment and just talk to him. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need your strength. I need your healing. I need your protection. I need you like I need food every day, Lord. I need you. I need you. I need you.